Hello and welcome to this GBM Media Podcast. You're about to hear Serving Today, a programme for pastors and church leaders. If you're involved in any form of Bible teaching, be that one-to-one or in small or larger groups, Serving Today will be relevant for you. Welcome to Serving Today, the programme for pastors and church leaders. I'm Andrew Cook. It's great to be together once more. The Role of Husbands in the series from Ephesians. And Derek French joins us with another name of Christ. Last time here on Serving Today, in the fifth chapter of the Ephesians letter, we were looking at the first part of the famous passage about wives and husbands with the help of Ray Tibbs. Ray is here with us again to tell us what's next in this practical outworking of the Christian life as expressed in marriage. The earlier verses addressed wives, and now these verses, 25 to 33, address husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And by this arrangement, Paul shows that wives will find it easier to submit to their husbands as husbands fulfil their responsibility of loving their wives. One cannot happen without the other. And so from verses 25 to 27, Paul shows this is how you should love. And let's read those verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The love of Christ for the church is held up as an example to follow. The love of Christ for the church is undeserved. It is all of grace. It does not depend upon the beauty of the church or the gifts of the church. The love of the husband for the wife should be similar. One of the reasons why there are so many divorces is that the true nature of this love has not been understood. I think, Ray, that for some of our listeners at least, divorce isn't always necessarily an option, yet marriages do suffer because wives, in most cases, are being mistreated by their husbands. What is Paul saying to husbands in particular here? Paul is saying, keep on loving. No matter what happens, don't be like the world. Be gracious and remain faithful. This factor is part of the love for the wife by the husband also. But that is spoken of in a different way in Titus 2 verse 4, where fondness and affection are stressed. These things should not be absent from the other partner, but they are not prominent in this particular comparison. The husband must give practical expression to his love. It must be given in more than words. In the act of supreme self-sacrifice, Christ gave himself up for the good of the church. He thought of her before he thought of himself. He exercised servanthood and did not demand servitude. 
and that's often not properly understood, even in some cases by Christian husbands. Yes, it's the world that treats a wife as a chattel, a possession, not the church. Christ had a purpose in view, the good of the church. His action would enable her, the church, to function as she should and realise her full potential. She's marked out from all others just for him. The husband should love his wife in such a way as to make her a better woman. She will blossom under his care. A loving husband who is seen to fulfil his responsibility to his wife will earn a well done from God because it is part of his God-given duty. It is also a beautiful thing for others to see and will be a credit to him in the eyes of other people. So how would you sum up a husband's love for his wife in the light of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27? Well, in summary, a husband's love should be gracious, just like God's love. It should be exclusive for his wife only, just as Christ's love. It should be practical, it should be beneficial, and it should be creditable. And what does this kind of love have as its purpose? Well, verses 28 through to 33 give us the reasons why husbands should love in this way. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The sole motive for the husband to love his wife is their unity. He is to preserve the oneness they have been given. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the man leaves home, separating himself from the family unit he is known to create a new unit with his wife. They become joined as two planks are joined by glue. They live as one, operating together, not separately. They are separated only by death. Because they are one, the love of the husband for the wife is almost the same as loving himself. They are so close that to harm one is to harm the other and to care for one is to care for both. Christ knows what is best for the church and acts accordingly. The husband looks after and nurtures his wife by providing food and protection. He acts for her good and in doing so, does himself good. If the union between Christ and the church is mysterious, the union between husband and wife is not. 
And so Paul ends this section with a summary statement which can imply, now, go on, get on with it. Joining us now is Derek French to explain another title of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find in the Scriptures. The name of Christ we're looking at today is the Cornerstone. We find the words in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Let me read to you from verse 4 of that chapter. As you come to him, that is to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a direct quote from Psalm 118, verse 22, and also Isaiah 28, verse 16, and is also found in Ephesians 2, verse 20. Indeed, Jesus used it himself in Matthew 21, verse 42, and the parallel passages in Mark and Luke. Matthew records it for us when Jesus was in debate with the chief priests and the Pharisees. These were men who refused to believe in him. And so Jesus declared, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Peter did similarly in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. It is evident that the Old Testament passages were prophetic as they referred to the Messiah, so it is natural to find this title on the lips of Jesus himself and apply to him elsewhere in the New Testament. The cornerstone was a carefully chosen stone, usually quite large. Its sides were squared and carefully worked to be accurate. Its significance was twofold. First, the rest of the building was aligned with it to make sure its walls were straight. And second, it had the effect of holding the whole building together. If this stone was not accurate, then the building itself would be unstable. We are told by Peter that this stone was laid by God himself, underlining its great importance. For he adds that this cornerstone is both chosen and precious. In other words, God had sovereignly appointed this stone for this task. This stone was God's elect. And further, this stone is precious, valuable, prized, treasured, of great worth. It is held in the highest honour by God himself. The building work in which this stone is so important is the building of the church, the Lord's spiritual house, his new temple, and of which each individual believer is included as living stones. And it is then that Peter tells us this cornerstone is actually a person. That person can only be the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he writes. Peter says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, he is the author and foundation of our eternal salvation. It is in him and him alone that salvation is found. He alone is the one who obtained this salvation for us, perfectly meeting the demands of God's law, perfectly atoning for the sins of his people through the sacrifice of himself, perfectly being the cornerstone of God's salvation. It is in him and him alone that sinners must trust if ever they are to experience the pardon of their every sin and know and enjoy the salvation of God. It is as we depend on, rest on, abide in Jesus and Jesus alone that our salvation is secured and guaranteed. Because he is the cornerstone, all who trust in him will never be put to shame. 
their hope of heaven to come, their assurance of future glory, their desire to be truly holy, their awareness of his help each day of their lives so as to ensure their safe arrival in heaven is guaranteed because they are resting on and trusting in Christ as the chief cornerstone. With the result, they will never be put to shame. You see, all the true people of God see in Christ everything they need to make them right with God, and so they build their lives on him. All they believe is focused on Christ, and they look nowhere else but to him alone for the forgiveness of their sins. The result is they will never be distressed or thrown in commotion by fear of want of success, shall not be disappointed in their hopes, and, of course, they will never be ashamed because they became a Christian. It is a further reminder that we are nothing and Christ is everything. He was chosen. That is, in God's plan and purpose, that in all things he, Christ, should have the preeminence. And because of all this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is precious in the sight of God the Builder and the structure his people. As the cornerstone, Jesus Christ is everything, everything a sinner will ever need. He is solid, faithful and true. Thanks to Derek French. And that's all we have time for here on Serving Today. This is Andrew Cook saying goodbye. May our faithful God be with you as you serve Christ. That was Serving Today, a podcast from the Grace Baptist Mission radio team. To get in touch, you can email us. The address is servingtoday at gbm.org.uk or find us on Twitter at servingtodaygbm. You can also search our back catalogue from our webpage www.gbm.org.uk forward slash radio. Thanks for listening and goodbye.